You're listening to the SEI podcast series, brought to you by the Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney. Good evening, everybody. I'd just like to take a moment um, to acknowledge and pay respect to the, to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. It is upon their ancestral land that 107 is built. As we share our own knowledge, teaching, learning, artistic and research practices, may we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever within Aboriginal custodianship of country. Good evening, everybody, and I'm just delighted to see a whole group of new faces at the Sydney Environment Institute event. I'm Michelle St Anne and I'm the Deputy Director of Sydney Environment Institute and I'm responsible for the program Making Space. Why did I choose to make Making Space? I was interested in that corridor between artistic practice and academic research. How do those two worlds collide and what richness comes from that? So I saw the panel behind me. I'm pretending I'm really tall and that you can't see above me, but anyway. Um, and I saw this at, as part of Sydney Festival and I was so excited to see my colleague, Estrina Naimanis, um, who was speaking, I didn't even realise. I just went because I wanted to know about bodies and the Anthropocene. And this beautiful conversation was occurring and then they were going to lead into the lab, at which Beck Conroy will speak about, and then I thought, and then what happens? I want to know what happens. So I've invited them back to have a conversation about what, is, what happened, what were the beautiful moments of sharing, what was the space that the choreographers and the dancers had to find within themselves, within their own practice, to allow research to seep into their dreaming and into their world. So that will be tonight's conversation. Um, we follow on from next, next month where I'm looking at the Pacific and cultural loss of the Pacific with drummer Simon Barker and a milliner, Rosie Boylan, who has created some beautiful headwear from the weaving practices from Vanuatu and um, surrounding islands. And then we will close um, in May, June, upstairs in the garden where we are launching the ocean with two of my beautiful colleagues, Killian Quigley and Annalise, who are both written about undersea, um, hosted by um, a marine scientist. So I welcome you here tonight. The conversation's going to go for an hour and I'm going to test. I'm going to say no questions. I don't want to have any questions and answers because I want you to go out. I want you to think about it. I want you to make space in your bodies. Come back and then we've got beautiful Claire Cooper who will be playing um, at this Japanese harp. And she's actually going to be responding to their conversation. So she's going to find space within her world for, to let them in. And then maybe you might have a conversation, we have a break and you can have a conversation with Claire or with our beautiful speakers. So thank you very much for making time for us tonight and I'm going to introduce you to the gorgeous Beck Conroy who will introduce the panel. Thank you. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Thank you, Michelle. Um, <clears throat> I too want to 
pay my respects and acknowledge the country that we are gathering on tonight, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Um, my name is Beck Conroy. Uh, I get to define myself uh, at this point, which I love doing because it keeps changing every time. <coughs> and I've said um, that I'm an interdisciplinary artist, writer and scholar who likes to straddle because I got a little bit exhausted thinking, oh my God, what am I today? Uh, but I do like to, to do a bit of uh, everything across all of those spheres and I'm very happy to be once again joining forces with all these lovely people um, to pick up the conversation from the last time we were together at the uh, Hacking the Anthropocene Choreographic Lab, which was held in January uh, at the MAAS. I was MAAS. That's what I call it. Uh, it's the Maritime... It's the Museum of Art and Science. Art and Applied Science. Yeah. I got so used to saying MAAS. Um, so, uh, please uh, join me in welcoming uh, Astrida Namanis, who is a feminist writer and teacher who currently works at the Department of Gender and Culture Studies at the University of Sydney on Gadigal land. Often thinking and making collaboration with others, her work focuses on water, weather and other environmental bodies in the Anthropocene. And if you've been fortunate enough to read her most recent book, Bodies of Water, Post-Human Feminist F Phenomenology. It is an, a real treat. <clears throat> it's not a bedtime story, though, is it? It's not really... Although you can read it in bed. Yeah. <laughs> By that I meant comforting. It is comforting. It's actually really gorgeous. Um, and then joining us is uh, also Sarah Pinney, who's a choreographer and anthropologist and PhD candidate at Macquarie University, working interdisciplinary on embodied cognition in distinct dance practices. Um, Sarah is also exploring the relationship to illness and transformational aspects from a ph phenomenological and uh, autoethnographic perspective. Uh, and then, of course, Jodie McNeely here is a researcher, writer and choreographer, her recent practice explores the kinesthetics of care in consumption and choreographing the public. She holds a doctorate in performance studies and is working on another PhD, uh, in another one in philosophy on the phenomenology of belief, because why not? Um, <laughs> while you're there, just do another one. Um, so, so hands up in the room, who knows, who thinks they know what the Anthropocene is? I mean, like, this is not a show-off test. <laughs> like, I'm not going to test you or anything. Um, can you put it up a little bit, you know, a bit braver? I just want to kind of take a little bit of a test of, like, who is in the audience tonight and how much, you know, assumed knowledge is in the space. Um, and then who knows what a choreographic lab is? Like, if someone said they were doing a lab, you know, how many of you would know what they would roughly have an idea? <clears throat> okay, so we've got... We've got some gaps in the room. <laughs> it's going to go on an adventure, a bit of a learning adventure tonight. Um, I mean, you could say, to be, to be honest, you could you could make you know make up a whole lot of shit about either of those things, um, really, um, because they're still being tested, they're still being contested, they're still being moulded and and shaped, um, and which is a great space to to be in um, tonight. So just to introduce the context, when we um, I was invited to facilitate an eight-day lab. It was a very short lab. Um, and 
I'll talk a little bit about what that is by referencing what we actually did. Um, it was <clears throat> five choreographers who were selected to uh, join us in a space with uh, another five. Uh, mostly people had one other non-artist who was an expert or a critical thinker uh, dealing with um, themes related to the Anthropocene. And through that week, we devised a kind of loose structure so that it was enough for people to kind of hang on to, like a bit of scaffolding, um, enough kind of nutrition, enough kind of, you know, juicy things that were put into the space to kind of, you know, spark um, some thinking. And then, of course, every couple, every choreographer uh, pair uh, had their own activities that they also so did. So some of it involved... Um, so Henrietta Baird, uh, the work that she did involved working with Indigenous elders uh, in um, food and looking at um, uh, Indigenous knowledges and the complications arising from um, commodifying or, or turning that into, into enterprise, what happens to um, the intellectual property rights of, of that. And, of course, the whole, the whole lab was, was really kind of framed by... Um, you know, the Anthropocene and the catastrophic thinking around the end of the world, which was a great opportunity to remind everyone that <clears throat> actually for First Nations people, uh, the end of the world has been already happening for, um, in some parts, for over 400 years. So, um, so, so that was one example. We also had some joint discussions. There were some sharings. There was um, a lot of contesting over what the Anthropocene is so we're going to solve that right now and <laughs> no pressure as Rita said earlier so I just have to explain what the Anthropocene is yeah yeah just that yeah yeah <laughs> we'll just go from from there but like Michelle has you already intimated we're going to kind of you know move into the conversation and if we feel like doing a little bit of improvised dance as well we might we might do that uh, just to break <laughs> the dancers in the room and like yes um, yeah, so, so do you want to gently kind of give us a version of the Anthropocene? Because as we know, there are many, as we were reminded sure. of. Um, and, you know, ease us into that concept, Estrita. I think that's a great place to start. Thank you. I mean, what is the Anthropocene? Um, technically, it's a geological, geologic epoch, right? So uh, it's a a layer in the earth, like the Pleistocene and the Holocene, which we have now been in for um, many, 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 many years. Um, the Anthropocene suggests that there will be a layer of rock on the planet that we can discern or that some future geologist, which is kind of a uh, a, an ex like a thought experiment because the Anthropocene is going to kill us. So, um, but some future geologist will look back and be able to read in, the, in, the, in this layer of Earth um, human impact. So humans as a geological force that will be legible at such a large scale, right? So we are so impactful on um, planetary systems, the hydrosphere, the biosphere, the lithosphere, that you will be able to read human impact, right? So technically the Anthropocene is a geologic epoch. Uh, so to be read by geologists, stratigraphers, um, 
To be an epoch, it has to start sometime and end sometime, and that's where things start to get interesting, right? If the Anthropocene is um, a layer of Earth that has been um, made legible by human impact, when did that uh, irreversible human impact begin? Um, when, when is the moment at which it would be no longer possible to have erased human impact on the planet? Uh, any guesses? When would that time be? Like there are many candidates for this golden spike, so there's no right or wrong answer. Colonial expansion, Pick a date, right? any date. Colonial expansion <laughs> down the front here. Um, any other guesses or ideas? Industrial revolution? You You've go, got the two of the big three. Does anyone know what the last, the third candidate is that's actually right now being touted as probably the golden spike? Sorry? Agriculture, great mark. No, that's not that. I mean, yes, that is a candidate. There are no wrong answers, but you're wrong. No, just kidding. Um, no, that is actually absolutely right. Others are saying that that is definitely one of the places we could, we could put it. But apparently the consensus is the most obvious one would be um, the Trinity bomb, right? And, and uh, nuclear uh, you know, fallout is, is what will sort of mark that line in the earth. But I mean, this is where things get philosophical and we start to think, or, or more than philosophical and social and economic and cultural, when we think about what does it mean to have a lasting impact on planetary systems. So um, the Anthropocene is not just a geologic impact, it's, or a, geolo a geologic epoch, it's also an imaginary, right? And I think you already alluded to this back in sort of, you know, it's this, this, the apocalypse, it's cataclysmic time, it's end times. So we now sort of talk about the Anthropocene as almost synonymous with climate change, capital C, capital C, you know, or the sixth great extinction or um, environmental apocalypse, right? It's it sort of become this marker to talk about uh, the end of the world or the end of the world as we know it. And again, that's interesting because who is that we? As Beck's already pointed out, the world and our relationship to its systems, to its non-human animals, plants, other species, weather systems, riparian systems, ocean skies, for many, many, many cultures that's been changing apocalyptically for a long time. And it also underscores this kind of, you know, binary where we're thinking about art versus science. So we're thinking about, you know, what is the science that's going to prove or is going to evidence, you know, um, and give us guidance when, in fact, when you de de delve into the Anthropocene, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of um, constructing of truths and constructing of, of narratives. So we're talking about the golden spike, you know. Um, Which is when it would have started, right? The, yeah. The, the stratigraphers refer to epochs beginning with a golden spike, an event or a time that they can pin the beginning of that epoch to. And that has a huge uh, implication philosophically, culturally, um, in terms of the imagination of the human to what are we erasing when we don't acknowledge earlier points of um, impact on humans. It, it kind of, you know, acts as if it's erasing the impact or erasing the humans that it had had impact on. So if we look at before the Industrial 
revolution, if we look at the slave trade, and we look at, you know, when did we start industrialising, you know, and who were the, the victims of that, or who, you know, when, when did we start to count the impact yeah. on that yeah. becomes very contested. And so, you know, for stratigraphers or geologists, it might be a certain kind of question, but for philosophers and social scientists and artists and other kinds of cultural thinkers and producers, it's also a question about, you know, who counts as human, what counts as impact, um, you know, to sort of put uh, humans on such a pedestal. We are so powerful, you know, that we are changing the earth, you know, is also for many people a problem because it reinstates humans as this all-powerful force. Um, but it's also for other, um, you know, philosophers, and I think myself included, a really interesting opportunity, you know, the Anthropocene, to, to address this imaginary, you know, and to think about, you know, um, what does it mean to think about end times? What does it mean to think about ourselves as both a um, species with agency to change planetary systems at the same time as each one of us is completely, utterly insignificant in the scale of deep time, you know? So it's that torque and that pull between scales of the monumental and scales of the completely quotidian insignificance that we're trying to sort of grapple with as humans, which is like it's, um, it's difficult and it's really, philosophically and uh, sort of culturally a, a rich place to think from. So Jody and Sarah, I want to ask um, when you were originally invited into the lab and what, what were your initial feelings about uh, the Anthropocene or how did you initially come with an approach to the Anthropocene into the space? No need to steal anyone's microphone. It's, it's, yeah. Oh. Um, um, so the first time I came into contact with the term was probably much later than when you said it was in sort of academic parlance. And it was actually as uh, an artist at Bundanon uh, participating in... Um, the site works down there on food security. And then the following year, I uh, uh, covered it for real time um, and it was on biodiversity. So then I was kind of uh, having an understanding of it, but not really responding necessarily fully as an artist or with my practice. And so when uh, the lab came up, um, I'd already had uh, been sort of working, I, I teach ethics and so, and when I teach ethics, I do teach about our ethical relationship to um, uh, non-human, uh, the non-human world and worlds um, and take a non-speciousist view of um, or perspective in that. And so that, you know, combined with sort of personal motivations, uh, the lab just seemed the right moment for me to uh, understand more what, what, what the Anthropocene was or how, as an artist, I could have a response, or as a human being, at, at basically, more so. Um, and, yeah, I think that that's pretty much. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I have a 
quite similar trajectory um, compared to Jordi. Uh, I also joined the, the lab quite late. Like I was one of the last choreographers to join probably. And uh, I was uh, very interested in this theme. Um, last semester I was also, I was teaching human evolution. Um, and there was a, <laughs> the last, <laughs> last class was about the Anthropocene. So for me, it was a really a question of um, how can we think or how we can reconsider um, how our place somehow, and can we do that through our embodied experience? Can we should start from from our place, our body? So yeah, just the idea of having a week to combine all this reflection. Um, combine choreography or choreographic thinking with um, such an important and yeah, challenging theme um, was, um, yeah, was great. <laughs> so I was really happy to join. So how did you, I mean, if you just had to talk about it as a feeling, how did you feel about the Anthropocene? I mean, were you, was it something that you, um, you know, were, anxious about or was it a curiosity? I think I became anxious <laughs> after the talk when I when a student <laughs> the said the, lab, the apocalypse is here. <laughs> Before that it was always a feeling that oh we can come up with strategies or solutions yeah. or approach this you know in a really positive way and um, that was the that was probably the first moment it was just like oh. but it but it was a, an aha moment too in the sense of yeah, the gravity of this is so much more than, you know, how I could even begin to cognitively attend to it. So to do that on a bodily level is, you know, or explore that kinesthetically is absolutely necessary or an imperative now. That, that was... Sarah, how did you... <laughs> Quite similar yeah, answer similar. again. <laughs> yeah, we um, got really anxious while... Um, during the, the lab, as the lab was progressing, <laughs> yeah. the, the tension darker and, and darker the, the anxiety, like, I'm lucky they're here tonight, like, really. It was touch and go, wasn't it? <laughs> it just got darker and darker. Yeah. I mean, I'm asking that because of something that you, um, you wrote some words. Um, uh, you just popped them up on a blog, just some really quick words that I think were on the SEI blog. Um, that kind of speak to this tension between, you know, this... Um, you say, coming to terms with something as multiscalar as the Anthropocene works best when different ways of knowing come together. So instead of chucking out climate geology or other sciences that deal in large-scale and abstracted phenomena, what, is, what if we used our sensory apparatuses to bring these knowledges back to the body? In other words, how might different kinds of expertise collaborate to produce new forms of hybrid knowledge? Um, and in particular, how the role of the more um, sensory apparatus or the thinking through body or um, coming back to this idea of, you know, how do you think about something as abstract and complex as climate change or the Anthropocene? Because whether we get our heads around it, our bodies are still having to live and breathe it. You know, we are still feeling effects you know this is something that um perhaps is the uncomfortable side to knowing about the anthropocene is it has this material 
um, effect. So I just wanted to, can you speak to that a little bit, Estrida, in terms of, you know, what you were thinking in that, in that piece? Yes, um, I'm just wondering, like, I could talk about feeling it or I could talk about the hybrid knowledge and where shall I go? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, well, I mean, maybe talk about how the, the, the where that idea started from, mm. which was around the feeling mm. stuff. Um, it's really interesting when you were introducing us three that we all are interested in phenomenology, you yeah. know, and actually I met Jody like, online decades ago through our joint studies of phenomenology. So for those of you who um, aren't philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> I need a second definition. Okay. Um, so phenom well, oh gosh, now, now, Jody, now Jody's going um, to correct me. Um, but my understanding of phenomenology and the definition that I work with, it's you know, um, going back to the things themselves, right? That's, that's Husserl, that's like, like understanding the, the world through your embodied experience of it, through your lived experience of it, right? So there's like nothing anywhere that I can understand without recourse to my body, because my body is consciousness of the world, right? So this was what I did as a PhD student, um, but I've really brought that with me to sort of um, be a tool and like a sort of key for understanding so many things in the world. It was like this light bulb moment when I'm like, whoa, this thing is so big and abstract, but like, how does my body get it, you know? Um, how does it taste? How does it sound? How does it feel? If the Anthropocene is a geologic epoch, that's huge, but it means it's like everywhere. We're in it right now. And how is it manifest in all these different ways through my sensory apparatus? Um, so I think sometimes uh, a lot of um, just everyday individuals feel quite intimidated and maybe even this is where the darkness comes in and the sort of anxiety comes in by these big things like climate change and um, mass extinction and Anthropocene because it feels so big and far away. Um, but our bodies live it all the time in bad ways, but in great and amazing and joyful ways. And I think for me, part of that is also has been learning from indigenous thinkers, black feminist thinkers, um, writers, artists, who are like, we are living with, after, and beyond the apocalypse already, you know? So there are many ways that that happens. And um, yeah, I'll stop there, but... I mean, do you think there's something... I mean, when I think about that, I think about the alienation of the body and the ways in which the body's been really subjugated to that rational, you know, cognitive apparatus, which does seek to control. And, and yet... Um, we are messy, we're messy bodies that if you, if you don't understand that part of the component, then um, you can't seek to control that in, you know, it has a, a troubled ending. Yeah. <laughs> There's, um, you know, uh, Adrian Rich uh, was, is no longer living, um, a lesbian feminist poet and writer from the US, and she has this one very highly cited essay called 
um, politics of location, notes towards politics of location, and in it there's this line where she says, you know, whenever I try to think about anything, I begin with the geography closest in. I think she's trying to think through transnational feminism, which says, I begin with the geography closest in, my body. And I've sort of been paraphrasing that a bit, thinking, you know, in the Anthropocene, why don't we begin with the geology closest in, which is also our bones and our blood and our flesh and all of our sensory apparatuses, right? Because those things are not unconnected to the earth and its crust and the rivers and the skies and all of the other beings that we coexist with. So instead of trying to say, oh, we have to make this huge leap from this intimate close thing to that huge scary thing, what if we sort of incrementally feel our way through those different scales and we can do that starting with the um, affordances and capacities I think that artists and, and creative thinkers and practitioners do best, right? Yeah, and I think that perhaps there's a sense of the way that time moves in that space, that artists are much more comfortable with a kind of dynamic flux that goes back and forth. It's not necessarily a straight line. It's not necessarily just so, you know, uh, compartmentalised so that it can be, you know, in discrete units, so it can be counted and measured and known and certain. So there's something about that, you know, messy body and that flux and movement uh, that is a bit letting go or allowing things to be. We don't live in a world that is structured like that. Um, or you could characterise uh, you know, a, a pre-contact world or an Indigenous knowledge system as acknowledging that, that kind of flow or that kind of flux. Yeah, and I don't think, um, like, it's it's certainly not for me a case of, and I think we will all agree, you know, of, um, you know, science is useless or geology has it all wrong or anything like this. It's like, wow, when I look, you know, I look at those geological layer cakes of the, you know, epochs that have been, like, that is also a sensory embodied reaction in response to that, right? So it's like, how do you take all of these amazing knowledges that different kinds of, um, scientists and artists and other kinds of practitioners bring and metabolize them, you know, to understand the world differently. That's amazing. So it's not like my, my own little body in a little closet somewhere could have all these amazing thoughts because it takes in all of those other knowledges and processes them to sort of think differently and be differently, hopefully. So maybe going into thinking about um, process, this might be a curious... Uh, a curiosity for some people um, who live outside the choreographic world or the art world. Um, both um, Jody and Sarah, when you think about how you approach working with material on the floor or how you work with uh, in space, first of all, but then to add another element of thinking of working with non-artists or working with scientists or other thinkers who don't have a relationship to thinking through body. Um, so they're two kind of large questions, I think. Um, but maybe just to start with talking about how you approach um, your choreographic practice. Yeah. Okay, so in the past, I've mainly worked with groups and, um, and generally it doesn't start... You know, it's definitely not about trans ooh, transmitting movement through the body into another's body and... Um, I think that that's maybe a perception that 
people who don't know about dance or choreography might have. There's a lot of research, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of um, uh, working on paper first, um, uh, but, but, but in a space. And I, and I guess the best way to articulate it is maybe talking about this, sort of my current project, which has come out of the lab, so it's sort of, so, so that works really well. And, um, and then I can loop in the collaborator um, business. Um, so, with this one, yeah, it's definitely, uh, well, this particular project has kind of two threads to it, and the first will be to, in fact, try and engage um, uh, public, so I'm interested in public choreographies, and, um, and certainly around this question of, or the Anthropocene, um, but mostly around the question of how to be, um, and, and it goes back to what Astrid was saying about the... Um, uh, at a more individual, personal level, because I think that that's the only sort of small gesture that I, c I can manage, and it's, it's, it's just too big. So in working with that, um, to go into, how do I go into a studio with that? Uh, I would, so at the moment I'm, I've got some space at Critical Path, I have um, some people coming in, there's a lot of sitting around, there's a lot of talking, there's um, improvisational uh, uh, tasks and um, in those improvisational tasks there's, there's questions that um, come into that. Um, it's not always about moving because <laughs> I think that there's this thing of, you know, dance is always moving and I think as you mature, <laughs> you do less moving, <laughs> maybe too much talking, but, um, but then it's good, lots of, thinking and that's kind of what um, I think this particular process is really requiring. Um, in another prong of this uh, project that's come out of the, the lab is the, um, uh, what I'm calling U-dance, <laughs> O-O-O, which is object-oriented on <laughs> U-dance, um, the chair friend series, but it's a bit of a joke. I, most, a lot of the stuff has to be, I'm, I'm approaching quite with a lightness and humour as well. So with U-Dance, it's, it's in fact um, uh, going and documenting abandoned chairs on the street. It started that way. And, um, and in fact, the process will be having a residency at the Bower or something like that and learning how to fix chairs and, or upholster chairs. Um, and uh, also um, starting an Instagram page for, you know, chair rescue, so you can... Because I'm already starting to get people sending me photos. <laughs> it's like they're, they're chest. And what's happening here is that there is a choreographic process. You're going, what? That doesn't sound very choreographic. Um, but it's... These uh, projects are... are um, are really dealing with uh, a new movement logic, a new, or not a new, maybe not new, but there's an attention to, because uh, um, I'm interested, I mean, I didn't even say what, a, what the main theme was, which is, uh, was the circular economy and an investigation of that. Um, and so, and what could be some disruption movement logics in that? And I guess the, abandoned chair on the street or even thinking about um, moving people in uh, public choreography around the questions of, you know, uh, what is, um, uh, you know, our future existence. And I'm going to get to the futuring in a minute because Claire's in the audience. Um, 
is really a, um, a, about motivating the body and the, the bodily. Uh, and, and I feel like these little uh, projects are doing that and it's not about sort of putting big movement on stage and uh, in an, uh, even in art, not saying that that's artificial, but I think in addressing the Anthropocene, it's really difficult to do that, to do an aesthetic work um, it, it, it requires for me to do something else and and, and it's addressing even um, some imperial knowledges around dance and what choreography is and so th this has um, been a real learning for me as well that oh yeah no, okay can I do that yeah of course of course it's there's an integrity to the to thinking about the kinesthetics here and um, and and um, communicating that and imparting that and inciting that and that's that's what I'm excited about with the collaborator sorry I feel like I'm um, the collaborator <laughs> far out um, with the collaboration and working with non-artists. I didn't work with a non-artist. I worked with Claire Cooper for... Well, we had a coffee date and um, and it was with Claire's cap on as a futurist and um, Claire didn't have to do much other than share a diagram and, uh, and I'd done a little bit of background reading and she gave me these beautiful references and that just kicked off... Um, you know, uh, nearly a whole work. Thanks, Claire. No, <laughs> no but it just—it took me somewhere I wouldn't have gone at all, and um, and I won't be necessarily. I, and so I feel like this work is going to be about working with a typographer and working with a futurist. Not, and I don't have to be a futurist. I'm going to stick to uh, choreographically thinking about these things. But um, and so that's I think how I've worked in that sense. And then in the past, I guess, it's always about um, uh, cross-fertilisation of around something. So it's not, uh, oh, you know, I'm going to take all this from you and then use it and go away and use it. It's always been a, some kind of exchange where we can make strange our practice um, for the other and, and so... I've always been interested in that and I'm also get very lonely in the studio alone so I tend to <laughs> like to have people come and collaborate. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. The re I mean, you know, having a lens directed towards the Anthropocene kind of privileges that we're using a choreographic lens to interrogate the Anthropocene. Um, but actually thinking about how does this pose a moment in time to rethink choreography? Like, what kinds of questions were coming up in that? I mean, you've posed some really interesting ones there, Jodie. But, um, Sarah, what about you in terms of those two large questions, maybe yeah, I agree. one at a time? Could you just take one at a time? <laughs> um. Sure. Um, yeah, I won't repeat, because um, I agree with um, everything Jodie said. Um, and for me, the entire process um, during the ACK lab was um, really hacking the Anthropocene through choreographic thinking. Because we started with my collaborator, who's also here <laughs> tonight. Um, Shout out to the collaborators <laughs> in the room. Um, so um, we came in the lab with this idea of rethinking or approaching um, synthetic biology, which is, um, or it could be one of 
the potential solution for the Anthropocene or for the problems that the Anthropocene uh, has brought upon us. Um, and so we came in, in the lab trying to address and possibly challenge or rethink uh, what synthetic biology um, is and can do. So we were looking at solutions, so trying to focus on the idea of possible solutions. Um, so through the lab we start unpacking and <laughs> deconstruct <laughs> the very idea of the need to find a solution um, and start to literally rethink um, the assumption behind the, this need. So uh, the need to progress, to um, use technology. And so, um, and for example, like synthetic biology, um, one of the challenges um, is that, that uh, synthetic bio biology for, for us, it, it could be something that can help human um, go through this epoch. At the same time, it's also necessary to, to rethink these possibilities or to rethink technology. And um, so, uh, I don't know what, how to uh, frame this <laughs> in a way that could make sense. So, um, we're mostly trying to to challenge this idea of this dichotomic thinking. So either we can progress and use technology to survive, or we, sh we should revert to nature, we should stop progress using technology, because that's where that's brought us, and it's not a nice place. Um, so we were thinking of other ways of considering this theme. And it all happened through um, a movement, uh, a movement of ideas of reconsideration, because we, uh, we talked about colonialism, we talked about um, embodied practices, we talked about illnesses, um, we talked about um, yeah, the pain and the body suffering in many different ways and um, epochs and stories. Um, so, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Well, we also but talked <laughs> about, you know, what is the human, but, yeah, right? Yeah, right. So, about the uh, choreographic processes or the, the fact of working on the floor, I think um, what choreography or dance can, can give, can support, um, is probably by... Um, affording this um, this loose framework, this um, way of engaging our thinking through our body, which is always messy and, and multiple and shifting, and maybe use that type of knowledge to look at these issues, if um, whether it is a Economy, circular economy, synthetic biology, or the Anthropocene, and mm -hmm. many aspects. So, um, Estrida, um, we, we only have 10 minutes. Um, it's been 50 minutes. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's been about 45. Um, 
Did you go? Did you catalogue your artist collaborations, um, as we spoke about the other day? Um, but you know, in terms of um, reflecting on occasions when you've worked with artists, when um, or collaborations in non-academic settings, um, how have you entered into this, and how do you think it influences your thinking and your writing? Um, that yeah. So uh, sometimes when I want to sound really cool. To people, I say, oh, I, I collaborate with artists. And then sometimes they ask me, well, what does that mean? And then I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Um, I think, um, but sort of less cheekily, uh, I love working with people who help me think differently. And I think that's really the fundamental. You know, I love collaborating with anybody who uh, a, has a different method in the most broad sense of that word for understanding the world to help me understand the world differently from the way I do. I mean, I understand the world sort of through my training, through words. You know, I like putting words together to come up with new ways of explaining things. But artists and other kinds of knowers, including scientists of all stripes, um, teach me different things about the world. So sometimes my collaborations result in an actual output. You know, we make something together, whether that's a performance or a, a drawing or an article or a book. Um, but sometimes it's just the actual being in the physical space together to help us, you know, sort of think differently. And uh, I mean, a very brief story. I think the first time I understood this was about uh, 2013. I managed somehow to get on this team of bio artists who went up to um, northern, like Finland and the subarctic to the Kilpisjärvi bioart station. Um, and it was with like these really famous artists. I don't know how I, like, that's another story. You can ask me over a drink how I got on this team. And I was sort of like, so we're, you know, Oren had this whole sort of plan. We're going to look at anthropogenic, blah, 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 blah. And I went there with my sort of, you know, uh, scholarly hat. Okay, what's our thesis? How are we going to sort of prove it, right? And it's like, no, we're going we're gonna to go for a hike. Then we're gonna look at this reindeer poo. And then we're gonna take these soil sample kits and take soil samples from this crash site. And then we're gonna bring them to this metagenomic sampler in Tromsø, Norway. And he's gonna sample the soil for us to find out. And I'm like, what the, f you know? Like and a it, sample, like, in, like Well, maybe, yeah. And then, you know, Kira's there. She's like, well, I'm just gonna get naked and dance, you know? And I'm like, okay. And, and, it, and it, I was just so blown See you away. you in the hot tub, okay. By this idea that what, you know, it's all of, and that's actually where I started using the word sensory apparatus, because, you know, we sort of said that in tongue-in-cheek way when we had to explain to the metagenomic scientist what we were doing in Kilpisjärvi, and we're like, well, we are using our various, various sensory apparatuses to come to understand the environment, right? And, it, but they were, you know, they were like fingers and bodies and voices and hiking boots and... And it was this invitation into this amazing world that's basically, you know, like it's practice-based, it's embodied, it's coming to understand something without those um, sort of preconceptions and sort of hypothesis-driven things that sometimes scholars bring to those kinds of questions. So um, very sort of briefly to summarize that, because I know we're running out of time, it, I love collaborating and what I take from it, and not just me personally, but I think that this kind of making space can do is it's that really generous invitation to understand the world differently. 
um, through somebody's training that they have invested a lot into. It's not just like that artists are, you know, these beautiful souls. You know, they've trained and they've learned and they've um, developed skills and capacities to see the world differently. And I feel so, uh, you know, so much gratitude when I'm invited to sort of experience that differently. And, and maybe it's a bit reciprocal when I can give something back. I think it is. I think the reciprocity really underscores what collaboration is in general, where... Um, I mean, it's like a, like any good relationship, uh, it's give and take. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the reciprocity has to underscore this generating of knowledge. You know, you have to be greater than the sum of the parts. You have to go beyond what you know. You what you bring to the table is uh, part of the recipe that you know it becomes something something different. And I was just thinking as you're talking about you know the sensory apparatus and, you know, sometimes it's fun to hijack the languages like that and then to discover that, oh, actually, that's not too far-fetched, you know. Actually, on the other side, that sounds outrageous what you're saying. <laughs> like, you guys don't make sense. Um, I mean, I do that a lot with economics. They do that a lot. Um, but also thinking about how the Anthropocene really does need some new thinking, if anything, when we think about how the Anthropocene has been written up, when we think about what it has led us to. It's really those types of thinking that has got us into this clusterfuck of a shithole situation that we're in, um, to use really artistic language. Um, and so I guess maybe let's kind of end on that, on that note of just thinking about... Um, you know, what kinds of new thinking do we need to bring into the world? Like, what does the Anthropocene call for us to... Um, what sort of imaginations... What do we need to imagine um, in the future to, to take us... Well, we're six great mass extinctions, so it's over. But um, if we were to do a quick U-turn, you know, what kinds of thinking do we need to to bring into the world, yeah. Well, even just sticking with the mass extinction and um, possible end, is there a way of think, rethinking death? Because that was one of the things that I did in the lab, or I, I didn't quite get to it in the way I wanted to. I kept doing it. Um, is, you know, thinking, uh, looking at death rituals or, or kind of um, even creating one, a daily one, of, of uh, dealing with uh, the, the, the very possibility that, you know, life isn't going to be and there's going to be no one left to memorialise us or do anything, we have to really rethink death. And so is that, and that is a creative practice, not, um, not trying to be morbid, in fact, quite the opposite. Um, that's sort of one way. And just on the other point about uh, collaboration and how dancers or choreographers can work with uh, scientists or anyone working on the Anthropocene, I'm, I think that that's uh, totally necessary. And as long as dance just doesn't become a metaphor or... Um, uh, you know, that sort of missing bit that 
oh, we don't think about our bodies enough, so, oh, yeah, we, we've got to speak to the people that are in their bodies. Just yeah. add dance. Yeah, yeah, just the add dance. And because dance has been a victim of that quite a bit, I think. I think the dancers in the room would agree. Um, and so, I'm, yeah, that needs to shift too and in order to go forward in um, having these, these collaborations, yeah. Sarah, did you have anything that you wanted to... Um, even just last thoughts for, you know, as we go into the mass extinction at the end of the <laughs> night. <laughs> I like to joke about the end of the world. You know, I would like to yeah. conclude with some positive thoughts. <laughs> but, okay. Um, it's a bit challenging at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I guess what, what Judith just said about rethinking death and... Um, maybe try to move, make a move, make, uh, move away from this always dichotomic uh, oppositions. It's good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> Can we think that in a yeah, positive I mean, like and it, sorry, living way? No, I'm finished. <laughs> Go ahead. Like if the Anthropocene is human impact on environment that will be legible in time and will lead to planetary death, then maybe like all of those things, it's an opportunity to rethink, you know, human, what is the human, who is human, what is death, what is the planet, what is the environment? I mean, no small, what is time, <laughs> right? I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, you know, the way some people say, well, climate change, it's everything change, you know, but it is. I mean, if the Anthropocene is what we are in, it's everything that we've just been thinking, well, we, white Western settler, you know, sort of knowledge, have been thinking really cack-handedly, you know, so how can we reorient to that in a way that could also be more joyful and more um, careful, like full of care and gener generous and like all those other things. And that's not at all to diminish the, the, the awful devastations and losses that we are in the face of, but it's, um, you know, it's not just, uh, well, to come back full circle in the conversation, it's not something we can just say the scientists will fix that or the engineers will fix that, you know? It's how do we every day in the smallest of scales to the largest of scales um, act, work, think, move, feel differently? Yeah, I was going to remind... I, I mean, that was reminding me of that bit of advice you gave at the opening to the lab, which was just do what you can where you are. Just don't worry, just do what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I think I murdered the concept by repeating it, but um, and it was something like that. But it was, it was kind of a call well, I to... I think because it was the question was like, well, shouldn't we be inviting yeah. politicians and shouldn't we be, um, you know, protesting in the streets or getting, you know, um, what's his name, Morrison, to, you know, come and yeah. listen, you know, with his lump of coal. Well, sure, <laughs> we can do those things, but... You know, I'm not very good at doing... I don't really want to yeah. talk to him. So It's um, like impact is measured by those large things yeah, that, like, those right. things are kind of... Like, what is change. politics? Yeah, it's like maybe politics. tasting something differently is politics. And maybe... Um, you had a beautiful phrase, Jody, about um, rethinking movement logics is politics. You know, like, all of those things are political when what we're facing is so, like, all-encompassing. Well, I'm going to invite everyone to join us for a drink at the bar.
Uh, it's my birthday today, so feel free to buy me oh a oh oh. I think we have to sing for you. I do not I think, think you do. need to sing for me. Oh, what have I done? I really deserved that, right? <laughs> what an idiot. Yes, but please. Um, so we didn't dance, but we sang. <laughs> yeah, so we're just going to, you know, move out into the, into the bar. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Michelle, for initiating this great series. I hope everyone comes back for the next one. I think I will. Um, and, yeah, let's... Uh, Oh, yes. It's not the end of the night. We've got 20 minutes uh, into interval and then we're coming back and we are going to be in a space of music. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Yeah, responding to this. Yes. Yes.